another edition of the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Tuttle, and today I'm joined by Chris Cartman, as well as the executive director of Sun Angel Collective, Brittany Willett. Brittany, first off, Chris and I are delighted to have you joining us today. How are you doing? Good. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to chat with you guys. Absolutely. We also have Chris Cartman, as I mentioned. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm good. Yeah, this is um, an exciting guest that we have here. This is a really prominent topic of conversation right now around the ASU community. And we just felt like um, we don't have a ton of guests, but this was the right time and the right person to educate people about NIL and uh, the primary collective that uh, supports ASU athletic ASU athletes, I should say. Absolutely. Quickly, before we jump in and get started discussing NIL and the collective, as Chris mentioned, I want to go ahead and remind listeners that we're going to be analyzing ASU's 49 to 13 loss to number six ranked Oregon following our conversation with Brittany. Uh, But now with all that being said, let's go ahead and get right into it. And to get started here for the listeners out there, Brittany, could you go ahead and run through uh, exactly what the Sun Angel Collective is as far as its mission, its history, as well as its current leadership right now? Yeah, um, we're an organization that's dedicated to supporting um, ASU student athletes in raising funds to create opportunities for uh, name, image, and likeness rights. So that can look like a couple different things. Um, when we raise funds for athletes, gen- you know, they have to to keep it compliant. They have to do something to earn those funds. Um, so we'll get them involved out in the community, working with local nonprofits. Um, to earn those funds. And then we also help them um, connect with the business community as well. So kind of those two key areas of focus. Brittany, can you just maybe walk us through your background a little bit and why you decided to take on this challenge and maybe even the magnitude of the challenge? Yeah. So um, I'll take you a ways back. Um, Most of my background has been in operations. Um, I was the director of operations for a restaurant group here in town. Um, Prior to joining the collective, though, I was working with the Arizona Coyotes. So um, for a couple of years, I ran their uh, foundation and community relations department and then moved over into their partnership team. So really um, kind of aligned a lot of what this role entails in terms of connecting athletes with our local nonprofit community, was doing a lot of that um, fundraising, donor relations. I was working with athletes um, on getting them out in the community. And then also with my shift over to the, you know, the partnership side of things, working with our business community um, to get them into sponsorships as well. So I do a little bit of all of those things in this role. Um, I was with the Coyotes with their move on to ASU campus at Mullet Arena, um, got to kind of engage with some of the athletic department through that, um, had a couple shared uh, board members that are, are part of our leadership on the collective. We're also on the, the Coyotes um, board um, as well. So knew a couple individuals. And, you know, I think this was a really exciting opportunity for me because it was something new. Um, you know, there's with that comes a lot of challenges and needing to like stay nimble and ready to adapt. And um, if you've ever worked in the hospitality industry before, you know that that's like a key to being successful um, is being able to kind of move quickly and make adjustments as needed. So um, kind of bring that skill set into this role. Pretty next question for you. Uh, just how is NIL so important right now and how did it kind of evolve into what it's become uh, here today? Yeah, um, you know, I think it really is giving rights back to the athletes. Um, you know, prior to 
to the NIL rules uh, coming into place, athletes weren't able to, you know, earn money. And they were like the only group on campus. You know, if I was a student at ASU and I wrote a book, you know, I could sell that book and make money off of it. But if I was an athlete, I couldn't do that. Um, so really just giving those rights back to the athletes um, on a large scale, that's where I think the importance is, um, you know, going a little bit more granular, it's really important right now because it really has a lot to do with um, retaining athletes and, and and bringing new athletes into the equation. Um, when you interface with the athletes about these NIL deals and, and all that, um, how rewarding is that? Uh, to kind of see the firsthand sort of the, the the benefits that they're able to get from this. And and especially given like a lot of the economic backgrounds, not really being uh, all that great for a lot of athletes coming into college or, or at ASU. I mean, it's definitely the most rewarding part of my job. Um, I will say that um, I, every, you know, all the athletes we work with are so grateful. And I think that there's kind of this narrative out there of like, oh, athletes are earning all this money and, you know, they're not grateful for it or they don't deserve it or something like you hear all these different stories, but really it's like helping with like day-to-day -day necessities of helping rent or, you know, being able to buy healthier food options and it's allowing them to perform better, um, you know, in their sport. So uh, it's, it's extremely rewarding and, and definitely a, a big highlight of my job. It's one of my favorite pieces of it. What are the current mechanisms in place for actually supporting the uh, ASU student athletes through NIL? Uh, just basically, what's the system in place for for getting them uh, compensated? Yeah, a couple ways you can get involved. Um, so if you go to our website, sunangels.org, um, we have a membership base. So you can get involved at, at any level. Um, you know, you can make a one-time donation. You can get involved at $10 a month. Um, at those varying levels, you get different things. Um, you also could make a, you know, a larger gift um, for that I would recommend reaching out directly um, to the collective to kind of chat through what the best mechanism is. Um, you know, there's a lot out there on like, are you a 501c3? Will this be tax deductible? Um, currently the collective is has not received our 501c3 status, but we do have some mechanisms for working through that um, to make sure that you're you're maximizing your tax deductions there. So if you're looking to make to make a, you know, a large contribution, I would just recommend reaching out directly to the collective so we can talk through those options. Um, and then also if you have a business, um, you putting together a marketing plan um, to utilize the athletes. Um, and that could look like directly working with the athletes um, or working through the collective. And we'd be happy to help kind of facilitate and make sure that those deliverables and, um, you know, are, are getting executed. Are there other questions beyond the whether people could write off their gifts or anything that you tend to find very common that you get asked about? Um, I guess people often ask if they can choose who or what they're supporting. Um, they definitely can. Um, we will be uh, this week actually launching on our website that even on the membership level, you can direct what sport your funds are going to. Um, but if you have a direct athlete or sport that you want to be, um, you know, supporting, uh, we're happy to facilitate that um, and make sure that those funds are going right where you want them to. Is there a sense of how Sun Angel Collective and maybe just ASU NIL in general 
is sort of stacking up to other collectives uh, and programs across the country uh, currently? Um, yeah, you know, I think we're in a unique position. Um, we've had the, you know, ongoing NCAA investigation. We've had some leadership changes. Um, and so some could say that, you know, we, we're starting off a little bit behind. Um, we've definitely seen some progress. Um, we're making some big strides. Um, you know, a lot of that occurring this, pa this past week with some of those leadership changes. Um, you know, where I really like to focus on this piece is like, our greatest asset is the size of our alumni base. And we have, you know, so many people that it really like the narrative that I often hear is like, oh, I can't give, you know, $5,000 like that, that size of gift is going to be too big for me. Or, um, it doesn't, it doesn't need to be that like everyone giving at the level that they can. Um, I think this is where coach Dillingham's like activate the Valley. Like this is where it really, this is what, he means by that, whatever you can do to help move the needle, do it. If that's just resharing something that we're putting out there to get in front of more people, you're doing your part. So um, really like breaking it down into those chunks. Sorry, I kind of derailed on your question there. Oh, but how do you, um, like, what are the strategies to, to get in front of the most, um, just sort of like just the average ASU fan? Like, how do you, uh, how are like beyond like something like this or media opportunities or whatever, are there engagement mechanisms that you guys are utilizing that, uh, can help reach a, a broader audience? Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're working with the university with some of that as well, um, to get our message out there. So tapping into the alumni base, um, you know, spreading that word, getting in front of people, um, reaching the numbers and, and things that are very like grassroots as well. Like, you know, the, this past game on Saturday, like we were going tailgate to tailgate with flyers, trying to get as many people involved. So really like no effort too small. We're, we're trying all of the things and seeing what, what's moving the needle. What are athletes specifically asked to do from the collective, uh, for their respective NIL deals, uh, and kind of how does that communication uh, work with the student athletes? Yeah. So for the most part, we get them involved with a local nonprofit. Um, so determining kind of what they're passionate about and what causes they'd like to be supporting. Um, and then we'll work to set up those opportunities. So it could look like um, volunteering at a boys and girls club um, or utilizing their social platform to drive awareness to a, uh, to a cause. It, it seems like, go ahead, oh, Renee. Um, kind of our mechanism for communicating with them. We do uh, work through a platform uh, called Open Doors, which allows us to communicate. We put that um, deal in for them. They're able to, you know, accept or deny it if it's not something that they're wanting to do or there's a conflict or something. Um, then we'll work through that with them. Um, and then they actually have to do the item that's being submitted um, to earn their funds. Um, so they just load proof in like, hey, I was at the Boys and Girls Club. They load that in and then their funds are released. So are there, um, I'm sure there are, but are there businesses or corporate entities or anything that are that are trying to use ASU athletes to promote their brands or, or things of that nature to do events? Um, what sort of, what, what type of activities are there like that? 
Yeah, um, really varying activities really kind of depends on what the business is. Um, so could be utilizing athletes like for a billboard or a commercial, um, a radio spot um, could be like a affiliate program where, hey, we're going to put out this pro promo on your social media channel and anything that comes through that you get a portion of the proceeds back. Um, a meet and greet at a you know, at a local restaurant to drive traffic, um, autographing things, sending um, messages, like, you know, if you want to send a birthday message to a friend or something, like, you can do that through this. So there's a number of members on the board at the collective who specifically determines which athletes are going to be contracted with the collective. Um, yeah, so our our board uh, kind of works to determine what athletes show a tendency to be uh, strong drivers uh, towards NIL engagement. So if they would um, engage with fans, donors, sponsors, um, we take all those factors into account um, and their like willingness to interface and then, um, you know, work to kind of put something together. Um, so we would just say that any athlete who feels like they kind of meet that criteria um, can reach out to the collective and we can talk through kind of what that could look like for them. You mentioned, you, you mentioned um, earlier kind of the, uh, you know, the, the goal or importance of retaining uh, the athletes at ASU. Um, of course, like it's no secret that uh, keeping the best athletes through the program for the duration it would be uh, important to the community and the and the and ASU, um, and then the acquisition of it, and then you have coaches who pretty candidly talk about the how NIL is really important to a lot of the uh, prospects that are out there, people in the transfer portal or whatever the case may be. So, how how challenging would you say that that is? at this sort of early stage of what, what you're doing uh, to try to service to the best degree possible. Uh, and also um, the opportunity that exists through all of these things, the, the, the size of ASU's alumni base and, and um, what could happen when this is a more, a much more mature vehicle. Yeah. Um, I think you hit on a lot of things there. I think as we're able to grow it, the possibilities are are limitless because we do have the size and and numbers. So just really making sure that the fan base understands the importance of like, hey, every amount matters. It all adds up. We have all these you know pieces that we're trying to fit together, um, and that's what it is going to allow us to take care of the athletes that we have. Do you hit on the piece of like making sure that we're taking care of the athletes that we have in our program because that becomes really critical to recruiting conversations for coaches because they can't, you know, say we're going to give you X, but they can point back and say, Hey, this is historically what has happened here. Um, this is, you know, and, and I think the athletes are probably our own best advocate of like, they can say what's going on and, and talk to some of these recruits. Um, so where they can't promise something, they can say, Hey, you know what I've been taken care of. Um, 
this is what that looks like for me. Uh, the collective has delivered on everything that they're said that they're going to, you know, that's really where we focus now. Um, we, I've had conversations with athletes who have kind of, who have come here from somewhere else and, and part of their decision to leave where they were is that some things that were being promised to them weren't being delivered on. Um, so we really, you know, stress that, you know, anything that we say we're going to do that we see it all the way through. Um, so where, you know, maybe our numbers aren't, you know, apples to apples, we're really like committed to making sure that there's that follow through and that the athlete feels like they're being taken care of, um, that they feel like they're being set up for success. So making sure that they understand the importance of like what it means to be a 1099 employee and having tax resources and all these other pieces um, that add to the equation of feeling like, okay, this is, this is easy. Um, what's, you know, I feel supported. I have people here that are looking out for my best interest. I think that that's another key piece to it. What are the uh, main goals for the collective right now as football season kind, kind of comes to a close? Uh, obviously, a lot of other sports still going on. So are there any main goals right now that you guys are trying to hit home on? Uh, I mean, I think our overall goals are kind of based on key targets from the Big 12 Conference and national leaders and NIL programs. Um, so just that will allow us to be like, feel the highly competitive team, um, you know, in the Big 12 which is highly competitive amongst all schools. Um, we've kind of set West Virginia, Texas Tech, and Kansas as some benchmark programs um, that we are have that are having substantial success. Um, so kind of trying to take that into what some of our goals look like um, and then kind of learning from what other people are doing, implement those strategies. Um, to kind of quickly course correct here and make sure that we're, we're set up for success as we make that transition. Yeah. Um, I did some reporting some weeks back about uh, how Open Doors really is transparently provides um, an understanding to collectives about how much athletes are making at conferences on an average among their top 10 or top 20 per position. And I we talked about in in, in the reporting just how much more that that is in the big 12 versus the pac 12, especially in basketball. Um, how do, do you get information that allows you to compare where ASU is at relative to these schools that you're mentioning, or how else do you, how do you go about the trying to set the barometer of kind of where ASU is at and, or the San Angel collective is at? Yeah. I mean, we definitely take that data into, to equation. Um, you know, we report data into those, you know, that information as well. So you're not getting it where it's saying like, this is what this specific school or collective has going on. Um, it is broken out by conference, um, but you can, you can kind of see where the, you know, the top 10 earners are, the top 20 are um, average. It breaks it out by position, by sport. Um, so it, it does provide some good information to kind of set those benchmarkers on. There's been a lot of discussion surrounding the collective following the resignation of Athletic Director Ray Anderson, what kind of boost has that provided to the collective, if any at all? Um, sounds like there's been a, a significant uh, uptick in donations recently following that news. Yeah, um, in the first two days following that, we did double our um, membership um, base, which you know was huge and and not something that we were kind of expecting right there. Um, I'll say, you know, over the the last year, a lot of my conversations have been based around a couple things. One, education, like just getting people like they've been told for, you know, 
however many years, this is not something that you can do. You can't, um, you know, support athletes in this way. So just shifting that thinking, um, and then educating them on kind of, this is how you can do it. This is what the collective's here for. And another big piece of that conversation was, I don't want to get involved until there's leadership changes. Um, so, you know, it was really hard to know if that was just, you know, an excuse or, you know, if that was really going to move the needle when that change happened. And, you know, we were pleasantly surprised to see that it did definitely move the needle. Um, people have stuck by their word and, you know, are coming out to support, um, you know, beyond those membership increase, a lot of very meaningful conversations with our larger level donors, with business community. Um, just, it really kind of propelled us into forward progress on a lot of conversations that we had going on. What, what's, um, what's, what does the relationship exactly look like with ASU? Are they, they, you're allowed to use the sun angel and the, and the markers, um, like how did that all happen and, and how, you know, how seamless is this, this, because obviously they have people in-house in NIL now, and that's sort of becoming a big thing. Yeah. Um, so we're able to use the logo, you know, our logo has the pitchfork in it. Um, we do have a trademark agreement with the university that grants us rights to that from the board of regents. Um, we do have, you know, regular communication um, to the extent that is permissible, making sure that we're staying compliant, that we're all keeping a pulse on kind of what the national landscape looks like, what any sort of legislation changes look like. Um, you know, ASU does have an internal NIL of GM. I work very closely with that individual, um, making sure that, you know, we're have a coordinated effort to the extent that we can, um, to make sure that we're, we're putting our best foot forward. And Brittany, really quick, what challenges and opportunities excite you and what's kind of on the horizon with the Sun Devils move to the big 12? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, we got to, we got to step up. We got to this, we've got great momentum going. Um, we're definitely, you know, seeing that progress, but we got to keep it going. Um, because, you know, I think like we spoke to before, um, there is, there is a big shift moving from the PAC 12. Um, and these, these schools, like they take their athletics very, very seriously. Uh, their fan base is wildly involved and engaged and generous. Um, so just making sure that we've, we're having all these really important conversations um, to get, you know, to use our numbers uh, to get people involved and, and really, you know, be a top, a top team. I just have a couple more questions, Brittany. So you're obviously on the front lines of this um, and you can't really compare this to what it's like at Texas Tech or Kansas State or something. But what's your sense of the community sentiment about this as you engage with them? And do you feel like a lot of people are hesitant, but they're legitimately considering, but they kind of want to understand it better or they want to see what happens with the leadership of the university or the team or just what, you know, what things do you hear a lot and are expressed to you and how do you feel about where things are at and headed? Yeah, I, I hear a lot of all of those things. Um, so there's some hesitation, but I think we're moving in the right direction. I think the next hire will be very uh, critical to these conversations as well. Um, you know, I think that there's some 
repair that needs to happen to people that have been supporters in the past and really getting them re-engaged and, and excited about what's happening um, to help kind of propel us forward. And will the Sun Angel Collective be expanding um, as the scale of the operation sort of builds in terms of the number of athletes that uh, you're working with and the the number of community people that are involved and what, what might that look like? Yeah, um, definitely expanding. Uh, we did recently bring on two uh, new board members. So we have seven board members. Um, all of them are very... Um, ingrained into the ASU ecosystem. So some people on the board of trustees, um, some sitting in, you know, uh, involved in the Sun Devil Club. So really kind of adding in a few uh, strategic additions there, um, looking to kind of expand out our team as well. You know, I am one full-time employee <laughs> dedicated to this, but even just the increase in members that we have um, seeing this last week, you know, we're looking to bring on some additional resources um, so we can expand our, our our reach as well. We've tried to touch on as much as we as we could here. Do you is there anything that is important that you think that we've left out of the conversation? I think you touched on a lot of things that come up on questions that people have. Um, I guess one like piece that I would leave with is like, if you're not quite sure how to get involved or how things work, like I'm very open to having as many conversations as necessary with people to make them feel comfortable. Like one thing that we get a lot of like, Hey, there's not a lot of transparency. Um, and really it's, that's a really challenging thing for us because I know when you are putting your money somewhere, you really want to know, like, what is the impact I'm having? How much money have you raised? And, we really, it's its not that we don't want to share that information. It just really is challenging because that information is then can be used against us in recruiting conversations. And, you know, there's a lot of negative that can come out of it as well. Um, so really like if you have questions or you just want to have a better understanding of like, how does this work? How do I know when I'm getting involved? Like where my funds are going, um, how they're being utilized. Like I'm happy to have as many one-off conversations and like hopefully this conversation helped answer a lot of people's questions um but like this doesn't have to be the last conversation that you hear about it like reach out like i will talk to anyone and answer as many questions as possible um but just really trying to like let people know that like it's not like we're we're not trying to withhold information there there's a reason that we can't share everything that's going on going to go ahead and wrap up our discussion on NIL with Executive Director of Sun Angel Collective, Brittany Willett. Brittany, thank you so much for taking the time with us today to share a little bit about NIL with us as well as our listeners. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and thank you for allowing me the time to kind of share my thoughts and, and help hopefully answer some questions people might have. Let's go ahead and jump into a quick recap of ASU's 49 to 13 loss to number six ranked Oregon Chris, Kenny Dillingham put it pretty bluntly on Saturday following that loss to the Ducks. They just lost to a better team. Is there any different perspective or insight that you want to bring into the podcast following our post-game show on Saturday? Not really. I, um, I, I appreciate his bluntness, and I really find myself so often 
agreeing with a lot of the things that he has to say in in these press conference settings before games, his weekly conferences on Monday, when he when he talks more specifically about football. And really, in fact, um, a lot of the things that he says are, are actually quite insightful. And it's just, again, it's a very much of a contrast to the previous regime where I just felt like the, the accountability wasn't there and the the depth of the conversation wasn't really there and the willingness to acknowledge some, some, some harsh realities, really. Um, the Oregon is a great football team. We said, we talked on the podcast coming in that this was probably their biggest challenge, even though it was at, on the, at home, Washington was on the road. Well, why um, Washington doesn't run the ball as much or nearly as well. Washington has a less mobile quarterback that you can uh, force to get the ball out of his hands a lot uh, faster and and more easily. Um, Bo Nix, for my money, and I'm a Heisman Trophy voter. I'm not I'm not saying who I'm voting for or whatever, but for my money, there's nobody that I have personally watched play that was more impressive than he than he was in that game this whole season. Um, not saying he's going to win or anything like that. And of course, for that to, for that to happen they would have to get back to the Pac-12 championship game and they would have to probably beat Washington because you can't lose twice in the same season to another Heisman Trophy finalist, you know, or or potential finalist, Michael Penix. But um, it's important, I think, to point out that Dillingham coached that Oregon offense last year and he was a major factor in the improvement of Bo Nix a year ago that is now carried forward into him challenging uh, records for completion percentage, like all time historical records, the 78% or something completion percentage. When I was a kid growing up, uh, most quarterbacks had a 50 something percent completion percentage. And if you said that somebody's, I was going to watch somebody have a 78% uh, rate, that that would have blown my mind. You know, the game's changed a lot, but he's so good at getting the ball out of his hands and ASU missed opportunity as we talked about this on the on the the post game show. You you got to get off the field third and very long fourth down opportunities. You have to you have to you have to, those have to be turnovers on downs or punts, and they didn't happen. And one of the things that we've seen pretty consistently that that Dillingham also acknowledged today um, is that the not dealing with adversity means that when things start to go bad, they spiral very quickly for this particular team. And when things go well early on, it carries them through the day. And so I think a lot of that has to do with just kind of where they're at at this very uh, formative stage of uh, a program. And when they play against the, the, the teams that are very established in what they are, who they are, their culture, um, they who that are also extremely potent that's like a buzzsaw and just for my money i mean i i think that oregon is one of the top four football teams in the country don't know what's going to happen in these last couple games obviously oregon state very difficult opponent even if they win that they got to beat washington but if they win the next two games for my money oregon needs to be in the the college football playoffs all right well we put out some wild stats uh following saturday's game first time ASU started five quarterbacks in a season. Two of them aren't even true quarterbacks. Of course, Jalen Conyers and Cameron Scadaboo getting some playing time in the backfield at that QB spot. 
another stat is that Jaden Rashad has led the team this season in touchdown passes despite only playing in two games so far this season. So, Chris, kind of just give me your thoughts on these numbers and how they kind of put into context the type of season that ASU is having right now. It's it's mind-boggling. Like, the idea that Rashada would start two games, playing two games only, and have three touchdowns be leading ASU in passing touchdowns in 2023 – is insanity, right? Um, Trenton Bourget threw three touchdown passes to Jalen Conyers last season at Colorado in one game. This season, he started six games for ASU. He has one passing touchdown. And that sort of illustrates that ASU's offensive line problems, which have led to the swinging gate um, <laughs> in the last couple of games and, just, and, and these alternate packages, has the injuries have been so problematic and they're they're it's such a patchwork thing that you you just can't run a lot of traditional offense the way that Dillingham wants to and then also it's not a knock on anyone but ASU's quarterback play between Borgay and and, and Drew Pine and a couple the game that he started or whatever um it's just not nearly good enough to compete in the Pac-12. Borges, one touchdown, four interceptions. It's a one-to-four ratio. That's like, you know, that's like the worst ratio that you're going to get uh, probably ever. And so when you're playing, not it, it's not just they weren't just using Scadaboo and Conyers in these gimmick alternative, you know, things. They were like literally using them in situations where you know you're going to be passing the ball quite a bit and you're 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 throwing deep shots and and fades and i mean it's just it's it's like a bizarro world almost that this is what um the offense has been reduced to but i will say though having said that that jaden rashada comes back you get some offensive linemen in the transfer portal you have cameron scadaboo to Carlos Brooks, maybe you get another running back in the portal. You got Jake Smith, Jordan Tyson, Troy O'Meary, uh, maybe Jalen Conyers. You know, you have a chance actually to look like a totally different and much better offense next next year. And it's hard to imagine right now that they're not going to be a lot better because this is. Really, this is as bad as it gets in ASU modern football history on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, so we talked offense. Now let's switch over to the defense briefly. Brian Ward's team has been solid uh, through some stretches of games. Uh, of course, though, Utah and Oregon, they've really struggled. So it seems like there's kind of been a lack of that middle ground um, between really great performances and, and, and poor performances. So uh, what kind of has contributed to the lack of that middle point and there being such a tilt on either side of whether it be really great defensive performances or, uh, you know, ones where they struggle? Yeah, that's also kind of a surprise. I'm sure the coaches are, are you know, wish that they would have not had these wild swings from great to really bad in some of these games. And, uh, of course, you always want to be great, but but just not to have the lows be so low – such that Bo Nix is throwing six touchdowns in the first half against you, which has to be a record against ASU. And of course, Utah's at home, they're a juggernaut. Their their rushing attack was great. Bo Nix and what they do, that they're great. Um, so these are these are really good teams. But 
Um, I, I just feel like there's something missing in terms that it not missing is maybe a bad word. I think it's just too early in their formative stages of what they're trying to be culturally and ideologically that when things sort of start to go in a negative direction, they get like really bad in some of these games. And I really don't think that that's going to be the case um, in another year or two. They have good players and they have a good scheme. It's just that um, they don't handle adversity particularly well yet. And I, I think that you get bigger, stronger, faster, more mentally tough going through another off season. You supplement in some of these key areas. You're going to be losing guys. Your younger players develop more. You're you're going to notch forward. And I I, I fully expect that they are going to be a good defense next year um, in the Big Twelve. We listened to Kenny Dillingham talk about the Territorial Cup, his memories, uh, both just as a kid growing up in the state of Arizona, as well as being a coach on the sideline for that game. Uh, he had a lot to say. What were your thoughts uh, on his commentary about the matchup coming up this week? And uh, maybe you can also provide some uh, some of your memories of this game as well towards the uh, end of this podcast. Yeah, um, he said that uh, he's watched every game for many years. And even when he was coaching elsewhere, he he, he recorded the game so we could watch it. He talked about the when he was on Todd Graham's staff. This goes back to like 24. 15 uh 2014 2015 he was on the staff working under mike norvell um and just kind of what that was like you know and and i think really importantly he um showed his team a video that goes back to the origins of the rivalry which a lot of younger um fans they just probably don't know and also even the players on the team remember 50 new players on the team 30 division one transfers a lot of them are, are some of them are from here and they, they might have an inkling of, of it but a lot of them aren't and even the ones who are from here they're young and maybe they don't have asu uh of family members or coaches who who kind of know but this thing is extremely vitriolic and it goes back to um you know when arizona's the University of Arizona's leadership campaigned aggressively to try to prevent ASU from becoming a, a university, uh, change its name to Arizona State University, from be being a teacher's college in the late 1950s, and uh, how ASU sort of campaigned to, to, to uh, the Prop 200, I believe it was, to make that happen, um, which voters approved, and that led to it, to it happening. But there was um, you know, Sun Devil Stadium opened that year and, and somebody broke into the stadium and burned no no on 200 into the grass as a as a sign. See, I, I don't think that people know that. And so ASU had to play like its first game ever at Sun Devil Stadium with this no on 200 burned into the grass with, where Arizona was trying to prevent ASU uh, to a large degree from becoming a full-fledged university being its equal, uh, equal in the state. And that is very different than most of these rivalries around the country that don't have that sort of a political and historical rivalry. And so uh, that's where a lot of the hatred comes from, especially ASU going to Arizona. And, um, and then I think Arizona, just quite honestly, you know, they're, they're always going to be that sort of, they're in Tucson. Tucson's not the big metro area, the big market. 
Um, so the, you know, there, there's always going to be like that sort of a vibe or, or hostility to it. And I just think that these rivalry games, they're, they're, they're their own seasons unto itself in a lot of ways, a one game season. And we've seen plenty of times I have over the years of the, the, the quote unquote worst team winning being a spoiler. This is a particularly big game because if Arizona beats ASU and Oregon loses to Oregon state, uh, Arizona will play in the PAC 12 championship game against Washington, which that's never happened before. So that that's probably, you know, if those two things together, maybe you're only a 15% chance or a 20% chance of happening at most, but it is a actual chance. And of course, Arizona knows that it needs to win and to take care of it's part of the, 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 the thing. And so ASU wants to spoil that is a disappointing season for ASU, but if they can spoil that, that is a very big thing as well as a feel good, uh, you know, uh, uh, performance that could, uh, springboard you into the off season and all the things that you're trying to build and accomplish. So we're going to talk more about it on, on the, the preview podcast, but uh, yeah, I just think that, you know, probably a lot of listeners I've talked about it in the past, maybe even listeners don't know some of the history about it. And it, it, it's always good to sort of remind people at this time of year. Absolutely. Very interesting stuff and a lot of content that's going to be coming on the way to our listeners and to our audience on the socials as well so they've got to stay tuned chris thank you as always and thank you to listeners for tuning in to this edition of the sun devil source report podcast as i said we'll be back with more coverage ahead of the territorial cup uh, so make sure to keep your eyes peeled on everything until then though for chris carman i'm ethan tuttle saying thank you so much see you next time